Diversity, equality, and inclusion is a large problem that's gaining more attention. Today, we speak with two experts. Our first guest is Adriana Gascoigne, who's the founder and CEO of Girls in Tech. Adriana, briefly tell us about Girls in Tech. Girls in Tech is an organization that I founded in 2007. Uh, we're really focused on providing career development, job placement types of resources for women in STEM, in addition to uh, educational skill building type of programs and communities that help really support uh, growth opportunities. Our second guest is Sastri Dervasala, the Global Chief Technology and Digital Officer at McKinsey & Company. Sastri, please tell us about your role at McKinsey. I lead the Global Technology and Digital Organization as a partner at McKinsey, and that includes the strategy and development of our technology or digital capabilities, both internal and external data and analytics, artificial intelligence, et cetera. And I also serve as an expert advisor for our clients. Sastri, how did you become involved with Girls in Tech? Yes, I've been um, pretty active in the industry, Michael, on uh, DE&I. And I've been uh, work, working with uh, Girls in Tech for actually several years as a mentor and uh, recently joined the board last year uh, as one of the board of directors uh, working with Adriana and team. Adriana, we hear these terms, gender diversity, inclusion, diversity in general. What, what does it actually mean? Diversity, equity, and inclusion is currently a, a popular buzzword. And you know, while we fully support the efforts being made by all organizations towards such goals, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't separate the diversity from belonging. Uh, DEI initiatives tend to be sort of weighted down with, with metrics, which are obviously necessary for accountability, uh, but workplace culture is, is really key. So fostering a sense of community in which team members feel like they belong um, is quite imperative to an organization's sort of long-term success. Um, celebrating and valuing the unique contributions of each person fosters that sense of belonging. Um, and this means breaking the executive mold and truly welcoming peers that may look different, uh, talk differently, dress differently, and come from a variety of, of differing backgrounds and neighborhoods. They may practice a different faith. They may be identify as LGBTQIA. Um, and value systems may differ. Um, there are all sorts of, of, of values, right? And the net net here is that not every CEO needs to be a white male in a hoodie with an Ivy League education. You really can, can pluck amazing talent really from all walks of life. How important, how significant, how large a problem is this? I would say that it is a large problem because when I launched Girls in Tech in 2007, you know, cut to almost 14 years later, we're still seeing headlines that, you know, show that there's a disparity of women and marginalized groups of people within the STEM fields. So there is a recently um, a McKinsey report, um, it was a Hallmark report on the business impact of diversity and inclusion. And it also included statistics on the disparity 
uh, and the work that we need to, to still do ahead. Um, and their analysis reaffirms a strong business case for both gender diversity and ethnic and cultural diversity in, in corporate leadership. So it shows the business case that it continues to strengthen a business proposition if we are to focus on diversity. But a lot of companies are still starting out. They don't know what the secret sauce is or how to uh, make improvements in DEI. But this report is actually really important because it, it shows that now more than ever, if companies care about diversity, they're, then they're going to outperform then uh, they're less diverse, uh, diverse companies in terms of profitability. Mm-hmm. So the report also found that the greater the representation, the higher the likelihood of outperformance. Uh-huh. So company, companies with more than 30% of women executives were more likely to outperform companies where the percentage ranged from 10 to 30. And in turn, these companies were more likely to outperform those with even fewer women executives or or none at all. Sastri, what do you see in your role at McKinsey with respect to looking at these topics, studying these topics, thinking about the solutions and so on? As Adriana said, Michael, I think the biggest challenge we have is women are underrepresented in technologies, right? So, And it has been a dominantly tech industry issue for a long time. But what's happening, obviously, is every business is now going through a massive disruption driven by tech. So tech and part and parcel of every industry, every business, every location, every region. And then technology is also driving intelligent automation. So 10 years from now, when we look back, we would not have the same workforce that we do have today. So the underrepresentation of women in tech is a compounding issue as you look at all these three uh, aspects. As an example, you know we have 47% of the U.S. workforce um, is as women. When it comes to technology and computing workforce, it's 26%. So it's substantially low in the technology industry. And now you're looking at more industries becoming tech-driven and more technology actually driving uh, businesses and the biases that come with it. So it's actually a compounding issue uh, for both businesses as well as for corporations and their teams. So the nature of diversity, equality, inclusion is evolving as the workforce evolves as well. So it seems like it's quite a multi-layered, multifaceted problem. Yep, what was a technology industry issue? I would say it's every industry's mission critical issue at this point. When you look at the intersection of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially with gender and race uh, cross-section, I think it's a compounding issue. Adriana, can you give us some examples of the kind of diversity challenges that organizations face, just to make it really concrete? Based on the companies that we've partnered with and the the peers that I've I've spoken to, the diversity challenges are really focused in recruiting and making sure that companies are understanding different tactics that they can employ uh, within their companies to make sure that they're recruiting fairly 
and that they're promoting job opportunities to a wider, sort of broader, diverse group of people so that they can hire people that represent the LGBTQIA community, uh, the disabled community, as well as uh, racially diverse and female community, right? This is a, a big challenge, especially in STEM. Uh, we are marginalized groups uh, and they continue to um, be more of a challenge to, to really access talent within these groups. So I think, and, and it's really reassuring to see how companies are really focused on moving the needle here and taking action. The other part I would say is the company culture. So there's a really uh, big disparity there or lack of understanding in terms of what you need to do to improve a company culture. And it's not just hiring a diversity, equity, and inclusion executive and sort of checking that box. You actually have to do the hard work. So I would say to begin with, a company needs to do a full audit of what they're doing well and what they're not doing well and really understand the overall happiness and productivity of their employees and really understand how the company culture is sort of working or not working. So there's a company called Culture Amp, and I love this company because they have actually helped improve uh, the company cultures of so many different large corporations where there's a lot of structure, uh, sort of a lot of cooks in the kitchen, and, and, it, and it has worked, it has changed for the better. And so they help come in and do an audit, and then they provide helpful recommendations on what to do, whether it's through recruiting or whether it's you know doing assessments or surveys with your employees, um, changing things like policies or management training programs, and then they actually provide outcomes, right? So this is generating statistics and data that can help really underscore what's working and what's not. Typically, companies will do one or two, but not all three. And I think that that is, is a major difference. Um, I would also say that, you know, Twitter is a great example uh, of a company that's that's taking action. They've 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 created programs and policies for meaningful change, and they're setting the bar. So. In terms of, of comparisons uh, of tech companies, Twitter performs better than Facebook when it comes to you know, Blacks, for example, in technical roles. So in August of, of 2020, they reported having 5.1% Blacks in technical roles. And also compelling are 5.7 Blacks in leadership roles at Twitter. So Twitter goes through great lengths to make sure their employees, sort of known as tweeps, understand how they contribute to the workplace culture and they make it mandatory like a number of courses how to respectfully navigate through tough topics in the workplace how to spot and interrupt microaggressions how to be an ally to underrepresented people um, right. they've re recently introduced compensation to those group leaders who are taking charge of what historically has been deemed volunteer work so they're they're, they're making some great strides we have a, an interesting question on LinkedIn from Simone Jo Moore. And Sastri, she asks, uh, what is the impact of working from home on dealing with these uh, gender in STEM issues? Working from home 
is a complex topic, but I think uh, the pandemic has shed a lot of light on uh, on this. In, and uh, Adriana was referencing the study before that McKinsey published, and it's a study actually we did with uh, in partnership with LeanIn.org, and it's uh, over 370 companies um, that were interviewed, and uh, there was a lot of research done with 40,000 plus participants. What it showed was that one in four women in the workforce have considered either leaving or downshifting their career because of the pandemic and the working, you know, work at home demands of balancing, you know, between work and, uh, you know, uh, home and kids and everything else that goes in life. It's actually gets worse with, with mothers. It's one in three with black women. It's one in three. So I think it has really shown, you know, what technology disruption and work at home uh, would and could do to our workforce. So I think there, there needs to be a better appreciation uh, for, you know, what it actually brings, uh, you know, as we see in the pandemic. Uh, and more importantly, I think recognizing the flexibility, the always on mindset that has kind of crept in, uh, you know, with work at home that should, that should switch and a better appreciation for the demands that people are actually facing at this point, whether they're mothers or fathers um, or other aspects of life. I think it's, uh, you know, it has definitely shown, um, you know, a lot of light on this critical topic. We have another comment from LinkedIn. Jonathan Becker, who I've known for many years, is president of the San Jose Sharks. And he says that he's concerned that gender diversity uh, could turn into a counting exercise. And don't we need something stronger than that, a sense of inclusion and belonging, which I think Adri Adriana uh, alluded to earlier. So what about this issue going beyond counting? People should be hired based on, on merit. And um, I, I do also believe that there are extremely, extremely talented women and people represented representing marginalized groups out there. It just takes a lot more work to, to find them. So there are different types of, of programs that actually enable and educate women that are in college, in the university level, that are going into the workforce, whether it's through internships or mentorship programs, sponsorship programs, to make sure that they're set up for success. I know Etsy is a, a great example of this. They actually created um, an incubator at their company for university students. And they actually taught coding classes so that they can learn for free. And then they hired the employees afterwards. And now they have over 50% female sort of software developers working for the company. So that takes a lot of work, a lot of resources and dedication, but they are able to actually meet their quota, the quota that they wanted to, which was 50% women and 50% men in technical roles. So I, I, I don't think just checking boxes is actually going to help create sustainability over time, because if it's not the right person, it's not the right person for the role, right? But I do believe that that hard work is something that that a lot of companies and a lot of people uh, are not sort of paying attention to or prioritizing. So it just takes a little more effort. 
We have another question from Twitter. You can see I, I prioritize the comments coming in from the audience during the course of the discussion. And Arsalan Khan, who's a regular listener of CXO Talk and always asks insightful questions. So thank you, Arsalan. He raises the point about culture being such an important factor in any organization. And culture is not only about the people, but also, very importantly, the incentives, the rewards, the recognitions. And if the leadership in the organization is biased, then these incentives will be biased as well. And he's wondering if there's any studies or any thoughts on biases in organizations that affect recruiting. And Sastri, maybe you have some some thoughts on this one. I think, you know, to kind of build on Adriana's earlier point, there are obviously policies and metrics uh, that every company is is tracking. I think it goes far beyond that. Um, I think it, it definitely is in the culture and the, some of the biases uh, that we do see. So I think the the biggest challenge is, do you have wide enough uh, network to actually get the word out in, in a corporation as you hire talent? Do you have a mechanism that really empowers the, the hires to advance? Do you have mechanisms to address the broken ring, broken rung issue, you know, as, as, as women go through, uh, you know, their life um, advancements? And, 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 and do you have, uh, you know, an, an ability to celebrate the role models? As you know, as leaders actually emerge, I think some of these things are critically important. Obviously, the the mentoring aspect, empowering women, engaging with the right networks, which is which is very important. Because unless a, a, a company has the ability to walk the walk, this is a very hard um, issue to tackle, and it's a very organic issue. So some of the results may not come right away. Uh, so you you need to be at it. The other thing that on the bias question, uh, it's an important question, I would say is um, you need to manage the moments. Uh, if you don't manage the moments, the microaggressions, the systemic discrimination, they will continue to percolate. So whether uh, you know women or men um, at workplace, when they see uh, something that's happening that's not right, they need to speak up and call it out. And I think if you manage the moment, uh, with the necessary, you know, other aspects of uh, the culture, I think it, it will make a, a systemic impact over time. Adriana, thoughts on this one? You know, it's a really exciting and exhilarating time for DEI. Um, I think that there's so many companies out there that are, are pretty much, you know, up for the challenge, but it's also uh, pretty exhausting. You know, you're sort of having to reinvent the wheel. And like I said before, do the hard work. And on top of that, we're now dealing with COVID and that's further drained efforts. Um, and But the reality is there's so much more work yet to be done. So I do believe that um, there's other things um, like tying promotions and compensation to success in DE&I, um, specifically, you know, recruiters, but also leaders, managers, directors, um, you know, if this is a priority for these leaders within an organization, they're setting the tone for the culture uh, and also, you know, have leading by example, you know, making sure that they embody the values that are so important to 
creating a diverse environment and creating an environment of tolerance and acceptance and, and as Sastri said, celebration, right? So if there's a, a leader or organization that that really celebrates victories in DEI, like with you know company-wide emails or features on blogs or spotlighting employees, maybe press releases. I mean that that all really does help, and it's not just to promote externally. It really does help empower and get people excited internally about what the company is doing to be proactive and stay ahead of the game with with DEI. Um, in addition to ERG groups, as well as, you know, recruitment tactics, uh, internship programs, you know, all of these, these things do help and uh, the tools and resources are out there. Just takes a, a little bit more work. What's holding women back? Women have not applied for jobs in STEM. Um, there are very sort of basic things like how job descriptions are written uh, in listings uh, to recruit women, you know, even like coding ninja or something of that nature. Women tend to not think that they're a good fit for the coding ninja roles or even the coding rock star roles, right? So the onus is really on like recruit the recruitment staff as well as HR staff to to really understand how they're messaging and marketing the companies as well as the uh, the positions themselves. I also think uh, you know mothers, right? People that would love to have a family, women that would like to have a family at some point in their career, typically around management level, they have to make a decision, right? Um, they have to make a decision whether they want to you know, put all of their chips in and focus on their career or try to have that sort of uh, balancing act between uh, family and work. Um, you know, it, it is quite challenging, but, you know, there are definitely women that are able to do it with help. Uh, so, so that is definitely something they're confronting. Um, but also it's the whole uh, stigma of the STEM fields. People think that, you know, it is a programmer sort of um, sort of dog eat dog type of culture. And so that's less attractive to certain people. And a great majority happen to be women. I mean, for instance, when I first joined a startup, my first startup ever in, in 2006, I was the only woman in a 35 person company. And while the company was super cool, uh, a B2C video startup a little before its time, um, you know, there was, there was microaggressions. There were, uh, people would talk to me differently. I had a guy throw a full water bottle to my head. Uh, there was a lot of swearing. There's a beer pong table, you know. So that culture was one that was quite shocking to the system. Um, but it's something that I said to myself, you know, I guess I have to learn to adapt to this culture in order to fit in and thrive in sort of the startup, you know, tech workforce. Um, we also didn't have an HR division, so they couldn't really step in to help out. But I thought to myself, you know, this is at the core, this is, a, this is the main problem, right? The problem that when people come into the door, uh, that represent different racial groups or, you know, women or LGBTQ, they don't feel like they can fit in. They don't feel comfortable. They don't feel like they belong. 
right? So I wanted to change that. And actually that startup is what led me to launch Girls in Tech. Um, I was coming into work every day, just really uh, frustrated, right? And so that is the reason why I started Girls in Tech in, in 2007. We have another question from Twitter, and the, this question is, how can we not only create a diverse environment, but sustain that environment? In other words, how can we provide growth opportunities that sustains uh, the development of diversity inclusion and helps it grow and, and take hold? Sastri, thoughts on that one? This is where I think men have to step in and step up, Michael. Obviously, we, you know, most of the environments, as, as we commented so far, you know, have um, underrepresented, uh, you know, uh, gender, right? So when it comes to women. So I think men have an equal uh, and important role to play in this. And so when, I, when it comes to mentoring and when it comes to empowering and engaging and when it comes to creating the right level of networks and, and you know, I'll give you a simple example. Most of the um, women networks or women in technology networks um, in the companies, uh, majority of those networks are women. Uh, men don't uh, participate in them because they think that they are for women. Men don't know how to engage in them. And uh, men struggle to figure out what to say and what not to say. So I think there is uh, there is a responsibility on on the men's part, you know, when it comes to engaging on this cause and and really creating that opportunity. As I said earlier, you know, empowering them, celebrating them, calling things out when you actually see something, you know, something is not going right, um, and frankly, putting the accountability uh, because you know this is an issue where. You can't let the system just decide uh, and assume that policies will auto-enable everything. I think this is a this is an issue that requires constant, constant focus, constant attention, and frankly, constant monitoring um, on how things are progressing. You know, as as promotions happen, you know, are we actually putting the right lens on the promotion decisions? Are we are we putting the wide enough lens for hiring decisions, etc.? I think. Um, you know, I think so men have to play an important role. I think women also, you know, I think through um, some of these initiatives that are happening, uh, you know, definitely have to show some light on some of these fundamental issues, right? So because the KPIs that companies are measuring are not going to be enough. So I think, you know, really it has to be uh, an organic uh, movement to sustain it. And that's where, frankly, you know, why I engage with Girls in Tech you know, to kind of uh, echo Adriana's comments, because as a leader uh, who is an engineer who grew up with a lot of, you know, programmers and product people who were men, I had to figure out personally, how do I engage? Uh, and of course, you know, I have a wife that also teaches me, who's also a technologist, but I really needed some professional, you know, advice and engagement, right? I think it's important to actually engage in these networks and, and, and learn and, and bring that home to your corporation and your own teams. You know, as I'm looking at the comments on Twitter, there's discussion. Arsalan Khan mentions uh, that diversity is influenced by a patriarchal society. Uh, Elizabeth Shaw is asking, why is the gender gap still a problem? Uh, 
On LinkedIn, Simone Jo Moore is talking about the reluctance of women to engage in STEM management roles because they haven't been coders and they've maybe there's a confidence issue. To me, all of this points to this deep-seated cultural dimension that ultimately creates the the biases, the subtle biases, some subtle, some not so subtle that we were talking about earlier. So how how do we look at the talent pipeline starting from an early age in order to uh, address these issues, of which a lot of it is confidence and the willingness, I think, to stand up? what I've observed and what I've discussed with my friends with, with kids, um, young kids and specifically girls, they have a lot of responsibility as they should parents as well as teachers and the media and even, you know, movies and video games and things that young girls are exposed to. It's the messaging. It's what society portrays is uh, okay for for girls. Um, it is breaking the barriers, breaking the mold to sort of the traditional, you know, sit there and you know and, and be quiet and fold your hands. You know that is totally different to uh, what is now going on in society. And I do believe that there's a lot of supportive types of programs and educational opportunities for girls that uh, didn't exist when I was a young girl. So I think the onus is really um, starts with the parents and the teachers to influence and expose young girls to the STEM field, specifically coding, and get them excited about that, get them curious about it, uh, getting their hands dirty on science projects and whatnot. But there's also different types of things like Goldie Blocks, for example. So uh, a friend created this uh, uh, awesome company as a Stanford project, and it's now a, a massive, massive company. And it really is sort of like a kit that gets uh, girls wheels turning on how to build something. So they start thinking uh, like an engineer, right? So these are the, the types of programs, the types of books, the types of toys that can actually help really influence a girl at a young age. But I, I do honestly feel it's the teachers and the parents that can help build that confidence and expose the girls to, to STEM. And, and there's so many phenomenal stories within the girls in tech community of actually dads supporting the growth opportunities for young girls. So taking them to their workplace, um, getting them signed up for girls in tech's coding programs. You know, So it's really, really uh, refreshing and reassuring to see how that is changing. And I'll, I'll have to throw in one little anecdote here. Um, when I was a, a, a senior in high school, um, you know, math and science weren't weren't my best subjects, but they were subjects that you know I I wanted to do well in and potentially have a career in in STEM. But my high school counselor said you should never ever go down that path because you have a, a B average in math, and so she said, do not apply for any of the technical schools. Do not apply for the Ivy League schools. You know, it was a lot of just negative influence and negative messaging. And, and guess what? 
I trusted her and I didn't apply for those schools. I, I went on to go to a great university, but I didn't, didn't challenge myself to go down the path of, of a technical degree. And, you know, those influences matter. We have more questions coming in from Twitter and LinkedIn. And this is from Law Rossich. And what are some of the most common excuses you hear around hiring more female talent in technology roles? And how do you respond to those? I'm, in, I'm interested in both your perspectives. Sastri, how about, how about you? You're, you're consulting with lots of clients and you must run into this uh, in various companies. You must observe this at times, I would imagine. Yeah, I think the most common excuse um, is, well, we don't know where to find them and they don't exist, right? It's a very um, common excuse. And um, that's that basically tells that you're not looking where you should be looking. I think it's an important um, aspect of the whole problem. Um, yes, we have you know less women uh, and less uh, number of girls actually taking STEM courses, but if you start recruiting, they recruit more and they inspire more and they motivate more, right? I think it's just, uh, that's that's definitely one excuse. Um, the other excuse is, you know, skill set and uh, flexibility expectations of the leaders and their own biases, uh, right? So um, those are definitely inexcusable. Uh, so I think some of this, you know, has, has definitely systemic um, um, issues, but I definitely think that, you know, it's important to have an open network. And 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 frankly, if I'm a female engineer, who, which company would I join? I would join a company where I actually think that this issue is, you know, top of mind, not just for the company, but the, for the people and the leaders. So I look for inspiration and I look for that connection, right? So I think it's an important element of the whole issue. How do you actually widen the network and how do you engage at a level that is authentic, where you know a female engineer would want to actually work for uh, this company and for this hiring leader. I think that's uh, you know at least my comment on the uh, excuse part. Yeah. And Adriana, as a woman, do you actually hear these excuses explicitly, or does it take the form of a more subtle bias, as as you were describing earlier? Explicitly. You know, Sastry hit the nail on the head with that one. Uh, we actually hear all the time, "We where are they? They're not applying for jobs. Uh, we can't find them. There's not, not enough diverse talent in terms of, you know, women or marginalized groups actually applying for those jobs or really fitting the criteria of what people are looking for in terms of technical positions. Um, but, you know, it's, to me, it's, it, it is, laziness, <laughs> you know, to be quite frank, I really do think it's hard, right? I do think it's hard uh, to locate uh, diverse groups of talent, specifically technical women, uh, but it's not impossible, right? It's not impossible. And I think that if uh, you were to promote, like, for example, partner with Girls in Tech, we have a jobs board and we have a great, you know, intuitive way for companies to share their, their corporate profiles and the company culture and post job listings to our over 70,000 members around the globe. And it's a great way to engage and connect with technical women, um, also non-technical women, you know, product development roles or marketing roles. 
There are also ways to promote on blogs or network. You know, we have a lot of great sort of uh, programs that we offer, um, like our digital career fair, uh, the Girls in Tech Conference, which is a great place to recruit. You know, so it takes a little bit more effort, but but partnering with organizations like Girls in Tech can definitely help with employee engagement and help create awareness and exposure of opportunities within your company that a lot of women might not know about. You know, and, and now with, with remote working being a thing uh, due to COVID-19, you know, you can really access talent all over the globe. And, uh, you know, this is, this is the silver lining that, that we're seeing uh, everywhere, really. Um, so I think that those excuses uh, are, are hopefully short-lived and we can start focusing more on the solutions rather than the issues at hand. Sastri, how do we solve this problem? Focusing at the granular level, at the systemic level, is an important element of solving this problem. Obviously, it's very important to track. It's important to measure. It's important to have strategic initiatives around hiring, uh, retention, and promotion, etc. But I think the awareness uh, is an important element when it comes to corporations, engagement of the leaders, walking the walk, um, managing the moments. I think those are very important. I think the other important thing is really the, the, the parental side, right, that Adriana mentioned earlier. I think I, I frankly feel that the parents need to uh, get a different level of awareness because also parents have their own biases based on their own work cultures that they bring to home, right? So they don't see the role models at work, so they probably don't inspire. So I think there's, there's some work to be done. Um, the unconscious bias training, as an example, that people go at work, uh, is, that a, is that a similar version for parents, right? So these are some of the fundamental questions because I think um, that level of uh, awareness in parenting and schools, you know, teachers play an important role to inspire, you know, it's 23% uh, of um, you know, women take um, advanced uh, AP courses in computer science in the United States, 23%. 23%. So that's pretty uh, pretty low. So uh, really inspiring, inspiring girls to get into STEM and motivating them. I think that's where it really starts. So it really starts growing up um, and growing in career and inspiring others. So in all three phases uh, of life and work, I think, you know, it has, uh, you know, measurable impact to be made. We have another comment from Twitter. It's a very interesting point that Sriram uh, on Twitter raises. And he says, how can we avoid generating the feeling among men that the organization may be providing unfair advantage or compromising on standards while promoting diversity? And I think this gets back to some of the, the, the bias issues that you were both talking about earlier. So what do we, what do, we do about, about that issue? fundamental thing is really for um, organizations to embrace the business need of having diversity. Diversity for the sake of having diversity is not what we're talking, right? There is actual commercial business impact that every company can make with having a diverse and inclusive uh, workforce. So if the leaders and organizations and men are bought into that, then they actually would look at this in a very different way. I, I often hear this comment, right, that, well, are we reverse discriminating? Are we over-indexing on, you know, on this, et cetera, in, in various, you know, networks and, and firms? 
um, I think it's really you know understanding the clear business impact that uh, you know the you know advancing diversity would have. I think is really the key um, aspect. And then I think really you know opening opening um, the network to embrace the talent and giving them the opportunities for learning and development, um, giving them the opportunity to network with others. I think these are some of the other aspects that are really critical. Adriana, do you want to jump in on this? Programs should be for everyone. So if you have internal training programs, management training, if you have ERG groups, things like that, that can help advance people's career and provide other resources and opportunities, it really should be for everyone. Uh, You know, we do have an, an issue with a disparity of women and marginalized groups entering into the STEM workforce. But I don't think that that means that we should diminish or ignore uh, the men. Uh, I, I actually do think we should engage the men, um, offer the, the programs to them as well, uh, but also you know, include them in terms of being mentors for the, the young women entering into the STEM workforce. Engage them in, you know, for example, Girls in Tech, we have a virtual hackathon. So we have mentors come and share their thoughts or give lightning talks, serve as a judge. Uh, We also have a virtual mentorship program where a lot of companies and their employees, um, a lot of which are men, will come and participate and engage with a mentee um, to help them really achieve uh, successful outcomes in, in, in hitting their career goals, right? So I think there's ways of being very inclusive and not sort of uh, creating an us and them type of approach, but actually bringing everyone together and enabling a very positive, productive and communicative work environment for all walks of life, not just, you know, marginalized groups or men, right? All of us, there's a place where all of us can, can unite and be successful. We have another question from Twitter that's quite interesting from Sal Rasa, and he's asking, who is not speaking up on this issue that should, and if they did, it would make a real difference? There's a few constituents that need to speak up. One is definitely women need to speak up. And obviously, you know, we have a live example in this Zoom room uh, with Adriana. I think she chose to speak up. And it's very important that when you see discrimination, when you see microaggressions, obviously it is an important element, uh, regardless of where they are, they could be students, they could be working professionals, they could be mothers, they could be teachers, they could be mentors, they could be mentees. I think they need to speak up. Mm-hmm. Like I said, men need to speak up. Uh, and men need to speak up and men need to you know, walk the walk on this. Um, companies need to speak up. I think companies need to set the right tone um, all the way from top down, that this is an important issue. And of course, the general policies need to speak up. I think there is, uh, you know, like uh, every other systemic, large-scale, complex, global issue, this requires, um, you know, a lot of key constituents to speak up. Um, and um, it is a solvable problem. I actually think that fundamentally, you know, women have a very, very bright future in the field of technology because they bring a different level of perspective, a different level of engagement, um, and more and more opportunities are coming. And I think there is increased focus, obviously, on diversity, equity, and inclusion. This is, as I always say to a lot of my mentees, 
this is perfect time to engage in technology, uh, regardless of where you are in your career. I have a couple thoughts on this. Uh, I, I first off think that, you know, we do need more sort of role models and people representing marginalized groups speaking up, you know, executives and leaders in, in high tech or even in other sectors, um, sharing their personal stories, their trials and tribulations, you know, skills and best practices that they've built along their career path and, 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 and make it so that um, it's a, a realistic outcome for people that might be um, marginalized, like people of different uh, racial backgrounds, right? And so being the whole concept of you can't be what you can't see is, is actually very true. So we, it's important to bring out the role models and have them speak at conferences and events and not just have tech conferences that are just filled with, you know, older white men. It should be a great diversity because there are brilliant, brilliant uh, executive leaders that represent um, the, the minority groups, right? I also think that from a, a holistic perspective, government needs to play a bigger role in terms of providing STEM education to public schools. I think this is a, an area where we lack severely. And I don't feel that the government is um, setting aside enough funds and support and resources to really um, encourage and provide education um, in, in coding, for instance. Um, so we're happy to partner with them, but as a nonprofit, you know, we also, um, you know, need that support and resources as well. Um, but, but I think that's really the, the, the couple of areas I think where, um, you know, people need to stand up and speak up a bit more. Sastri, what advice would you offer to business leaders? That's who watches this show as business leaders. What advice do you have for these folks to create that will help them create a more diverse workplace? Walk the walk, right? So uh, important to be aware, important to engage, important to mentor, important to monitor, um, important to network. Uh, it's, it's extremely critical and it, it starts with everyone in, the, in, in any company or in any business. And it also is important to set the right tone for the businesses itself. So that would be, um, you know, my, my key point. And also, as I said, you know, uh, manage the moments, you know, as you see systemic issues, you know, call them out, um, and more importantly, celebrate uh, you know the greatness and inspiration that comes out of uh, you know the focus that you have. And Adriana, as I have interviewed women senior executives on this show, one of the themes that seems to have come up quite a bit is women helping women, supporting each other. So, what advice do you have for women to support? these efforts and to support other women once you're on the top you know let uh, what's what's the saying let the ladder back down so that other women can can climb up as well and i do believe that uh, that aligns specifically with mentorship and sponsorship you know being accountable to make sure that you help other women you know achieve certain levels of success and help help them get to their uh, their positive outcomes within their career goals. And, you know, I do see this a lot where, you know, there's there's 
sponsorship and mentorship, there's a massive dis- difference, right? Sponsorship is being accountable and making sure that that person gets that connection or that interview, gets invited to that conference. Um, it really is being accountable for the positive outcomes for that person's uh, career. Um, and mentorship is also very important. Um, it's basically supporting and answering questions and helping uh, that person along their path, but it doesn't revolve as much around accountability. So I would say we need more sponsors that are female and male mentors. And uh, we also need more uh, racially diverse mentors because it, it does help in terms of, you know, Latinx or uh, Black women that come together to help um, support the younger generation. Uh, truly believe you cannot be what you cannot see. And so I do feel like that that has really sort of helped bring more sort of young women into the STEM fold. So I'd like to see more of that in the future. Great comments. Thank you so much to Adriana and Sastri. I'm very grateful for both of you for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. Everybody, thank you for watching, especially to the folks who participated and asked such excellent questions. Before you go, please subscribe to our newsletter. Hit the subscribe button at the top of our website and we'll send you excellent material. We have great shows coming up. Check out cxotalk.com and we'll see you again next week. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye.